All right, so let's talk this morning about uh, this subject that we've been on, tuning into the spirit. And um, we'll talk about uh, this particular topic, which is awakening or awaken your navigational system. Uh, so let's, let's explore that a little bit, because when we say awaken your navigational system or, or awaken or tune into the spirit, Many times people hear tuning into the spirit or listening to God or hearing God as something that is outside of you. It's you listening or hearing something that is not within you, that is not you. How many of you have, have said who've grown up or been spent some years in the charismatic world where you have said, I know this is God because it wasn't my normal way of thinking or normal way of. OK, so like a lot of folks that's one of the ways you discern it being from God is that it is outside of you. Um, and what I want to talk about this morning is that is one component. We'll explore that component, a very important one. But we'll also explore two other components that are also part or, or, or ways we actually hear from God that is not just God on the outside of our thoughts, God on the outside of our feelings, who communicates to us. And tells us what to do. Um, there's, uh, there's two others I want to explore this morning as well. All right. So the first one we'll talk about is signs, which is that idea of that which is beyond or outside of, our, of ourselves. Signs for me includes things like um, you have that moment where you, you have this thought that you know is not from you. And it really feels like it's, it's strong. It's present. It's ongoing in your head. You're not able to just sort of shoot away. Uh, signs are also things like um, a coincidence. How many of you have had coincidences that you said, Jesus is awfully weird that this is this, this, and this all happened at the same time. Right. Right. So many, exactly. Some of you say there are no coincidences, right? Because it seems like everything's conspiring uh, to move you in a particular direction or to show you something, to reveal something to you. Um, there are also times where signs are, um, signs are not pleasant. Signs are not the things that you feel like, oh, wow, that was awesome. Look, God did this wonderful thing, like a healing, like a miracle. Those are wonderful. When we have healings and miracles, those are considered signs. In the New Testament, you hear that uh, Jesus uh, healing sick people and referring to that as signs and wonders and saying, Look at these, they're on the outside, they're a sign, meaning they're a signpost pointing to something. Look, pay attention to it, right? And so those are signs and people, you know, either did, did one thing with the sign, which was either to reject it, which is what many did, or to do something to begin to move their life in a particular direction in response to that sign. And that's the key thing I want to make sure we emphasize this morning is that signs are intentional and they're, they are from God, I believe, and they're meant for you to respond to, not simply look at and go, huh, I wonder what this is all about. <laughs> sort of just leave it in that file, you know? Um, you know, it, it's, it's that what the heck file that we all have inside of our heads that we sort of fill up with things that we don't understand but it, there's no mobility. There's nothing we do with that. And, and oftentimes it just, it just sits there. And then it becomes so, somewhat useless to us. I've heard many people refer to them like, oh, you know, I got into an accident and, 
every single person, um, you know, paramedics, police officers, the doctor himself, all of them said you should not have survived this. I literally had someone say this to me uh, a couple years ago, a few years back. And it, the story was rather remarkable because it certainly was one of those in which uh, it, it seemed rather miraculous. And, and everybody who saw the accident said there's virtually no way you could have survived that. But he survived and he survived quite well, actually. He had no injuries at all, right? And so they said, well, that's, that's just one of those we don't know what to do with. It seems like a miracle. And he said to me, I do believe that it's, a, that it's something beyond the natural and I can't explain it, but the, and, and that they must mean that there's something for me to do in my life with it. But he did nothing with it. And, and to this day, as far as I know, still hasn't really moved his life forward. Now, this is me as the judge on the outside saying that, right? I'm not in his shoes, right? But, there you can, but, but the, the, the responsibility is when we have something like that is we, we, we can, you know, move forward. And it is our responsibility to move forward. Ask for more. You know, what is this about? And what do I do as a result of that? So let me look at this particular scripture. And this is a fairly lengthy one um, that fits into this sort of category of signs. I'm going to look through the book of Acts because the Acts uh, of the Apostles is lo- are loaded with these sort of uh, ways of tuning in, ways of hearing from God, ways of awakening your navigational system. And so Acts chapter 10, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Uh, this is language used to try to describe what happened. This isn't technical scientific language. This is exactly how it happened. This is to say something happened in which he was able to see something or some, there was a vision that came to him and he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet was being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if you were a Jew, you would have said 100% no. That is against the Bible, our teachings, our sacred scripture. And that's exactly how Peter answered. (laughs) Nope, these are unclean. We don't do that as Jewish people. So clearly that could not be the voice of God. Are you with me? This is what we would have done with a sign like this. It's outside and almost all signs are outside our normal paradigms, our normal ways of thinking and perceiving and being, right? And yet they do change everything if we'll allow them to do so. I've referenced this individual many times to you. You'll get sick of me saying his name again, but this particular uh, neuroscientist who's a neurotheologist, uh, Andrew Newberg, uh, d- had took, uh, did a survey or did some research uh, and got a hold of 2,000 stories of spiritual uh, enlightenment or transformational moments. And he said that by and large, these signs, these sort of awakenings were so outside their no- the normal way of thinking and perceiving that it changed the way. And these, there was like several layers. It had to affect several uh, different parts of the human psyche. It had to affect your thinking and change your thinking. It had to affect your feeling and change your emotions. And it had to change your behavior. 
It could not just change one of those things. It had to change all three. And it did for a lot of these folks. And for Peter, Peter has this visceral response. It's not just a response of like, no, those are the rules and I follow rules. It's a visceral. It's it's it triggers the disgust factor, the disgust emotion within the human psyche. You know what the disgust emotion is? It's an actual emotion. It's it's that kind of feeling that you have. It's that of like what uh, scientists have tested this and this is fairly, you know, repeatable. Um, you, you swallow your own spit all the time. But if you spit in a glass and you ask somebody to, you know, the, who just spit in the glass to drink their own spit back, most won't do it because it's disgusting. Is there any, sorry about that, folks. Um, beautiful analogy, and, isn't it? Um, but you won't forget it. Um, so most of us won't do that because it's a, it's a disgust kind of uh, emotion that's triggered. It's not rational. So for Peter to eat something that's unclean, by this point in Israel, in Israeli history, <clears throat> Israel's history, is fa- you're talking about a long time a long time for that to be passed on and passed on and passed on to the point that now it was deep within the human psyche. This is wrong. It's disgusting. We don't do that. Uh, so this is the reason why the sign has to be so strong and so boom in his face that it, it says, you know, that, that three times this happens, right? So the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call on anything impure that God has made clean. Peter's having to wrestle with several layers, disgust at the emotional level, and then at the head level, this goes against everything I've ever been taught and everything I understand the scriptures to teach, right? And then behaviorally, it's, it's calling him to do something. He knows this sign is pointing to me doing something, and I'm not sure I want to do that. Right? So the voice spoke to him a second time, right? Then it happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven, And that's it. Peter says, okay. And then immediately after God says to him, there's three guys waiting for you. This is the way he discerns it. He hears something, a thought that comes to his mind. There's three people waiting for you downstairs. Go open the door to them. So he goes downstairs, he opens the door for them and they say, Hey, listen, come to Cornelius's house. And Peter goes, now this is another rule breaking because Jews did not ever go into the house of Gentiles. And so he goes and he says, well, God told me not to call anything impure that God had made pure. And so here I am. Why am I here? (laughs) It's basically his question to them. What do you want? And they said, well, God showed Cornelius a vision and had him get you to come here. And then Peter starts talking. I mean, this is off the cuff. It's like, uh, okay, here we go. Right. He starts talking and pretty soon the Holy Spirit comes on them they have, this, they have this experience, and then they say, we're in. We're following Jesus. We're, we've been following Jesus, but now we're definitely in. And Peter's like, this is on the fly. This is changing everything I've ever known and thought about the way things should go. And this is what signs are supposed to do. And we're supposed to respond to the signs and not just simply say, oh, that's a weird one. I'm not sure what to do with it. At any point in time, Peter could have stopped that. At any point of time, you could imagine Peter could have said that voice about three guys waiting downstairs. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely hungry. That's the problem. And, you know, wait till I have the meal and then I'll think more clearly about things. 
You know, there's a lot of things that Peter could have done to just sort of say, this is, this is just too much, right? And I want to get to this point in uh, the next part of it, which we're going to talk about is intuition. Uh, because many times we do this thing of that we have a sense that this might be true. And then we go to the head and we override it. And we say, that can't be, All right? That's, and we dismiss it. And that kills everything that God was doing in that moment. Are you with me? That's like huge. This is like something I have seen in my life over and over again. And I've said, how many times if I delayed what could have been something that God could have, you know, could have happened in the moment. Trying to prove it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've shared this story. Many of you have heard uh, about the start to a refugee ministry here in our church that uh, lasted a few years. And that was one of those where um, uh, I had just had a conversation with somebody and there was a few things that led to this coincidence, which was that on the coming home from vacation, I immediately went to that afternoon. I went to the mall because I had to start working. It was a Thursday evening and I knew I was like short time before I have to speak on Sunday. So I start plowing through my emails um, at the mall, uh, Saugus Square One Mall. So I'm there and I'm plowing through the emails and there's an article from, uh, from Greg Detweiler. Many of you remember him. He had spoken and I had asked him to speak about his work as one who worked it works for refugees and that's his ministry. His, his, his actual job is working with refugees. And, um, and I'd heard it was great. And, 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 uh, and so he sends me this article and the article is, so this is the coincidence. I asked him to speak thinking that's a good thing. Cause I'd like us to maybe think about that as a church. And then I get this article and the article from the Boston globe is there's a family in Saugus that's in one of the hotels and the whole article is so moving and there's pictures of this family and this beautiful family of seven, seven kids. And they're stuck in this one room hotel, motel. And, uh, and they had fallen through the system, fallen through the cracks of the system for resettlement. And they're desperate, absolutely desperate. And in that moment, the sign to me was, this is remarkable that I get this article and that this family is in Saugus and something in me says, you should go see them. You should do something about it. That's the intuition. So this is part two to this whole thing that we're going to talk about is first is the signs. Next is the intuition, right? All three have to function together, by the way, the, the three that I'm going to talk about. So intuition is I should do something about that's the, that's the gut, that's not the head or the heart. That's the gut. The gut says, do. You got to move. This is important. And so then I think, wouldn't it be like God that if I close my computer now and went straight to the hotel, the motel, this is at seven o'clock at night, went straight to this motel, that the only person in the, in the, in the uh, parking lot would be this guy or this family. And I would actually be able to say, hey, is there something we could do? Literally, that's what went through my head. I close my laptop. I get into my car. I drive over there. The parking lot is empty except for a minivan. And there's a man taking groceries out of the minivan who looked exactly like the picture that was in the Boston Globe. And so I yell out. I said, uh, are you the um, uh, Rubai? I didn't know how to pronounce it. So I said, Rubai. And he, he turns around, used to probably a lot of people botching his name, and, and says, yes, I am. Uh, barely spoke any English. And... 
fast forward, we start to develop this relationship with them and things start turning around and we're able to help them with a few other churches. We form a team, we're able to help them resettle, right? So wonderful things came out of that. But if it wasn't for the sign pointing to something and then the response, and that's the one time I did it right. I've done it a a million times wrong, right? So like all of us have, right? But But the response is that in, that comes from that intuition, that gut sense of what am I supposed to do? You know, whenever I ask folks when they're stuck about making a decision, I ask them, what do you, what do you, what's your gut telling you? Deep down, deep down, what do you know is the right thing to do? And often, not every time, because sometimes it's difficult to tell, but many times when you get out of your head and your heart, there's an inner sense of, I know what I should do, but I just don't want to do it. It's just too terrifying, right? It's that sense of like, um, you know, this is going to, this is going to require something of me. It puts me out on the, you know, on the front lines as it were. And I, I, I might get wounded in this process. I might get shot down. Something bad might happen. So intuition is that sense of there's something I must do. It's interesting to me that much of the book of Acts functions on intuition. Much of the acts of the apostles were intuitive. Now here's, take a look at this particular uh, verse right at the beginning there of the book of Acts. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, so far, all of this is normal. This has been happening. He's just setting up the story to say, this happened every day. These guys, all, this man always asked for money. Peter and John were not new to the temple. It wasn't like, oh, look at this guy. We've never seen him before. We should probably talk to him, say hi, see how his day has been going. This is, this is ho-hum. We see him all the time. He's there all the time. We see him, we walk in, we do our thing, and then we go out. But, Pete, but for whatever reason, this time is different. Right? They have experienced the, the Holy Spirit in their own lives, and it's changed them. And when they go out, they see differently. And their eyes are opened and suddenly they see this man who they've always seen begging, but they don't see him the way they saw him before. Something has awakened within them. I believe that that's the intuition or the inner person, the the, the witness of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God deep within us that's functioning at that moment, that's awakened And uh, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Uh, This is is one of those moments where I'm going to put, I'm adding to the story what I think is going on here based on my experience and the experience of many people, many of charismatics for a long time. And that is when you have had a time where God has really impacted you spiritually How many have had those moments where you felt overwhelmed by God's love 
and it touched you deeply. When you walk out of that space, what are you, how do you see? Do you see, do you, do you notice things differently when you walk out? You see people slip differently, yeah? Hey, you're more likely at that moment to actually respond um, to the spirit. You're more awakened, you're willing to take some risks. And as you begin to do things and move out, sometimes things go really well, not all the time. That's the same with the book of Acts. There's sometimes they move out and do something and it goes badly for them, really badly. But that doesn't mean it wasn't God. So they go out and there's this moment where he sees this man who he's always seen, Peter and John, see this man they've always seen, but they had already experienced the Holy Spirit come on them. They had experienced the love of God. And so now when they go and see this man, they see this man they've always seen, but they see differently now. And so when they see differently, they respond to that gut sense. There's something I'm supposed to do here. So I think they're playing it completely on the fly. I think they literally looked at the man and said, look at us. And they probably looked at each other and said, what, what are we doing? And what's next? <laughs> like, look at us. And then there's this fate that rises within them. Like, I'm going to do this. Now, the reason why I suspect that that probably was true is because whenever I move out and do something by faith like this, I'm really doing it on the fly. I do a lot of this, like, I'm just going to move and see what happens. When I've prayed for some of you, where you have said the word that you said were straight from God, I don't know. It's, I didn't prepare for that. It's, I opened my mouth and as I began to move, more came. Now, many within the vineyard has, have been talking about this for 30 something years since the vineyard has begun, because it's something that we all have experienced when we practice it, is that you have to sometimes move out because you only have a little bit, but as you begin to move out, more comes, right? Because that's the way intuition functions. It functions from your gut. It tells you to move. And as you move, more comes along. Um, whereas the head tries to kind of figure it all out before, right? So this is, this, is the, this is the sort of way I think they moved. And you see this over and over in the book of Acts where they just sort of move out. <laughs> they do things and then they, then they figure it out as they go. So you see that in the previous story, right? With Peter and he gets this sign and he has to sort of respond. And as he's responding, he's responding on the fly and he shows up at this house. And then they're like, yeah, you're supposed to talk to us. And he, he's not prepared. He didn't have a week like I did to prepare the sermon. It's just, I got to show up. And then, man, that's, that's scary, right? What does that do to you? I mean, it's kind of scary, right? To live this way where you are trusting more and more your inner person, this thing in here, the spirit of God to guide you. And that's the internal navigational system. So you have the signs, which are external. We need them. And you also have to have the internal, the intuition to guide you as well. Right? Now, what helps, by the way, in terms of sharpening that intuition? Sometimes our emotions are so um, mixed up inside of us because of particular experiences, bad experiences we've had, right? Something painful. And when the emotions are healed, when there's a sort of cathartic release, like God's love comes on you, then it sort of gets it, gets the emotions to, to, to not be the, the, the thing that's sort of dominating and controlling everything, right? It, it sort of recedes a little bit because it's, it's been met. The needs have been met. And then you're back in tune. Now, there, this is what I think happens when we in the charismatic world have these moments of prayer together 
And there's a message that comes from God through mediated through another person that says, God loves you, God's for you. And as you're beginning to minister to that person, there's something powerful that happens to them. And they experience this release of, 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 of emotion, of darkness, of hurt, of neglect, of loneliness. And as they experience this healing, then something else reawakens within them. And I think that's the, that's the, the spirit, right? I think that's the gut, the intuition, the awareness. So, um, and that's what we've been practicing in our movement for a long time in, in our church. And, uh, and, and so, um, so that's the awakening. That's the uh, intuition awakening within us. Um, let's look at uh, the third one, which is discernment. Discernment is different because discernment isn't that sort of like big sign. It includes that, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not the primary thing at that moment where it's like, I know what to do because the sign has, has been very clear. Like in the case of Peter, the sign is super clear. Don't call anything. Well, not super clear. It's actually very unclear, but, but it's God's message there is clear. Like don't call anything impure. That's that I call pure. Peter doesn't know yet what implication it, it has, but he knows what God is saying. And the next thing is that now he's being called to go and be a, uh, to minister to Gentiles. And that is going to be where he starts to see the connection. Right? But that yet, yet that doesn't bring in yet too much discernment. There's still discernment happening throughout this thing, but it's not, the need for the discernment at the moment is, is, is high. But there are moments in the book of Acts where discernment is critical because the intuition and the signs are not enough to tell you what to do. And when that happens, it's generally because there are many people involved. It's not just your intuition. It's everybody else's as well. And you're having to collaborate to make a big decision together. That's where it gets really d- tricky. Because it's not just, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to go out and do it. It's, uh-oh, we have this thing called the we now, the group. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> and how are we supposed to move and discern and do things as a community and not just me as an individual? It's fine for Peter to go out and do his thing. It's fine for Paul to go out and do his thing, right? You see Paul doing the same thing. He just moves out. He feels like God's telling him something. He goes out and does it. But then there comes a moment now where all of this sort of movement that's happening in the early church creates this big problem that comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. And the problem that comes to a head in Acts chapter 15 is all these non-Jews are coming in to faith, but they are not following the Jewish law. And Jewish followers of Jesus believed you were supposed to still follow the Jewish law. And so for them, they're really struggling with this thing. And Peter's going, well, I'm moving by my intuition. And when I move by my intuition, I can tell you what God did, right? And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the same thing. This is good stuff. Problem is, is that there's others within the church who are saying, no, this is wrong. And I don't think it's right. And I'm really firm on this. They need to follow the Jewish law just like we do. And there's this big, huge uh, debate and disagreement within the church. And so you have your first church council and all of them get together and uh, in, uh, they discuss this and they debate and they argue. And finally, James stands up and says, I've heard all of the testimonies. I've heard all of the arguments. We have to make a decision. And therefore, 
it is my judgment. And apparently he was in charge to do this. Um, though he didn't do this alone. He did this with a lot of conversation, a lot of prayer, but he finally says, we've got to make a decision. And this is where discernment is critical. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. All right? This is a strange finish because to our ears, it's strange anyways. It's like, well, well, so, but that never continued because now everybody eats steak, right? (laughs) A lot of us do anyways. Some of you don't, but I like steak and I like it medium rare, right? So that's the way I like it. I like my steak. And a lot of people eat their their, their, their meat, eat their steak. A lot of people, nobody, nobody really takes this as if, except for some denominations. Seventh-day Adventists certainly do. Um, but most of us do not take this to be literal or, or take this to be something that would go on and on and on and on and on for generations to come. In fact, Paul himself talks to the Corinthians and says, hey, look, you know, there are really no other gods. So don't worry about eating meat that's been offered to idols so long as you thank God for it because you know that there's only one true God, right? So this is the debate that happens in 1 Corinthians 8 to 10. If you read that, you see that there's a lot of like back and forth. So you're not gonna see consistency in the New Testament. If you're looking for consistency, you're not gonna find it because a lot of the times what's happening is this discernment. What do you do in this situation right now that's the, to the best of our ability to figure it out, to know what's the best path? And at the same time, to be willing to be wrong. Like I might, we might be wrong in doing this, but this is the best decision that we can make at this time. And it's the best compromise we can come up with. And that's what they did. And they said, let's do this and let's move forward because we still have to keep moving forward because the most important thing is that we continue to practice the gospel of Jesus Christ above everything else. It's not about food. It's not about drink. It's not about these other things. It's about the gospel. So discernment does involve the head and the heart. And it involves them to say, what's the best decision given what we have? I know what you're saying, and I know what you're saying, and you're both on two ends of the, ex- the, the extreme here. So discernment is, does this seem like a, like a fair way to move forward? And most of them said, yes. We don't like it entirely, but we see that this is good wisdom and good discernment, so let's move forward. And at the end, James writes this. He said, it seemed good, in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do this. Discernment is asking that question. Not only does it help all of us get to to moving forward, but does it seem to us that this is how the spirit is guiding us? Well, someone could have said no, because it doesn't feel good. The question isn't, does it feel good? The question is, does it seem, this is why it really takes us out of our own selves, because if we're tuned in to only how we feel and what we want, we're going to say, no, I think it should be this way. No, I think it should be that way. But we have to leave a little bit sometimes our own sense of what is, what makes me feel good to get to the place of, do we, can we perceive what the spirit seems to be doing in this space? How is spirit moving us? And you might say, well, how do you know that for sure? We don't. We never actually do. 
It's the practice of discernment. To the best of our ability, we're trying this. And so we can look back and go, oh yeah, that was a mistake. We probably shouldn't have done that one. And at other times we'll say, wow, we got it right. Mostly right. And that feels good. So it's the practice of discernment. Is this, is this what we sense spirit to be guiding us and it's guiding us in a way that's not going to be all the time very satisfying to all of us, but it's our best in the practice of discernment. So the three things are signs, which are very external to us, the intuition, which is very internal. And it's that deeper sense of, I think I know, but I'm trying to kind of get it out of my head or because I don't want to think about it. So you sort of override it with your head, that intuition and then discernment, which is oftentimes more practiced generally with other people because it oftentimes means that there's, there's some kind of group discernment that, take, that has to take place because it can't be driven just by my intuition because yours might be different than mine, right? And Paul even addresses this with a conscience. He says, you know, if your conscience tells you in Romans 14, I think it is, if your conscience tells you don't eat meat, don't eat meat, don't do it. But if your conscience is okay with eating meat, then eat meat. Then it's okay for you too, right? But as a collective, when we come together, we have to make a discernment and we have to make a decision that brings us as best as we can together and try to discern what the Spirit's doing. Does that make sense? Cool. Well, let's stand and let's worship and let's see if we can um, practice at least uh, the, 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 the intuition part and see if Holy Spirit will give us anything more in our group setting as we worship. And, and feel free, by the way, I want to open this up to practice, right? Because it's not just about talk, it's about practice. And so I'd like us to do something where we can get to practice a little bit of this sort of intuition and tuning in to what the Spirit might be saying to us in this space. So would you stand as we worship?